Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I get when people come and say, you know, God's, you know, well, God's my buddy. He's not your buddy. He's not your buddy. God's my homie. Jesus is my homie. He's not your homie. He's not. He's God. He's God Almighty. He's Creator. That's who He is. Is He your friend? Yes. He's your father. He's your Abba. He's your Papa. But we may we never lose sight of the fact that He is God Almighty. God Almighty. And He deserves the China to be brought out. He deserves the best. How would your friends and family react if the next time you hosted a cookout or celebrated one of your kids' birthdays, you served the drinks in expensive crystal? or serve the hot dogs and hamburgers on the finest plates and dishes that money could buy. A little over the top? Well, Pastor James shares that when it comes to our relationship with God, He deserves our best. No matter the occasion, God wants you to serve those around you in a way that glorifies and honors Him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're going to do Leviticus chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and yes, 7, okay? So let me pray, and then we're going to get started with this right away. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the fact that if we don't appreciate your sacrifice after studying through Leviticus, Lord, then we just don't get it. Um, Lord, I thank you so much that you are the once and for all perfect sacrifice for us, and we're grateful for that. Thank you for a new covenant. Thank you for your blood that covers a multitude of sins. And I thank you for the forgiveness that you freely offer to us, both past, present, and future. So we thank you so much, Lord, for you and for who you are. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we just go through the book of Leviticus and look at offerings and all that good stuff, Lord. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me ask you a question. When you were growing up, did your, did your family have that special uh, dinnerware? China, maybe, is what you called it. Um, did you guys, did you have that within your house? I think we may have had that in my house. I don't really recall too much. Um, but you understand what I'm talking about. It's that select dish, dishes, that uh, you never get to eat off of, especially if you're a child. You would never even get to touch these things, right? These are set aside for special occasions. And, uh, and, and maybe your family for Thanksgiving or for Christmas would break out the fine china, and then it became a celebration, right? You knew it's a special meal when the best was brought out. Uh, I was doing some studying today, and I came across this article that I wanted to read to you guys concerning that and relate this to um, how, how we bring an offering to God, okay? Um, but this uh, Charlotte Lat- Latvala, if that's how you say her name, my apologies, Charlotte, um, she wrote this article and it says, break out the fine china. She says, through a series of family events, I have recently found myself in possession of my late mother's china. That's right, china, the stuff that brides of the 1940s dreamed about, planned for, and collected. 
the fancy plates of varying sizes, the cups and saucers, the matching sugar bowls, the gravy boats, and the spectacularly large serving trays. This elaborate set of dishes wouldn't be out of place in an episode of Downton Abbey. To my family living on the outskirts of Cleveland, that English bone china was the epitome of high style. It was our Thanksgiving, our Christmas, our meeting potential new spouses' dinnerware. I grew up in fear and awe of it, all because I associated it with exciting occasions along with the good silver and, and deli- or delicate glasses, none of which were allowed to, to go into our cumbersome 1970s dishwasher, what, by the way, she says. Fear because the idea of breaking any of the pieces was unthinkable. Not that my mother was a, ter- a tyrant in any way. She was not a disciplinarian or a screamer. Quite the opposite, I couldn't bear to see the look of pain and disappointment on her face if I happened to chip a cup or saucer while washing it. I also grew up with the idea that China was worth a fortune. It was an inheritance, in a, inheritance of unspeakable wealth. It's not, thanks Google, she notes. Um, but the China is beautiful. It's edged with the delicate motif of wildflowers in soft pinks and yellows and blues. I love it for its pure aesthetic value as well as the memories it holds. But what to do with it? Our world has spiraled into a casualness of an, at an ever-increasing rate. What was formal in the 1940s was quaint in the TV dinner 1970s, and that was 50 years ago. Now we're more like a eat chipotle in the car to sit down to a pot roast uh, at evening uh, at even the most haphazard table. She says, when my husband and I, and when mine and my husband's friends are over, not that that happens often, we often point our guests to a stack of paper plates and napkins. I know I'm not alone. People much younger than me are inheriting grandma's china and silver and and are at a loss at about what to do with it. I could always sell it, but that would be like selling my mother's soul, and I honestly don't want to part with it. I guess the inevitable solution is to start entertaining on a grand scale. We're empty nesters now. We have more time, if not more money. I'd like to think I have a few dinner parties left in me. So maybe our next cookout will be on fine china instead of paper plates. Maybe we'll start a retro trend and I'll not, try not to burst into tears if someone cracks a soup bowl. And I, I like that article because it, it reminded me of, really of just Leviticus and our offerings to God. And I think Christianity, just like uh, Charlotte had noted within the, her article, uh, you know, this, this spiraling towards casualness. And I think even Christianity has spiraled, spiraled towards unhealthy casualness concerning the holiness of God. And Leviticus is all about like being set apart, being different than the world that surrounds you. And it's about bringing offerings because you serve a God who is holy and he is deserving of our absolute best. He deserves the fine china to be brought out. And yet I think so much within our lives, we, we're dishing out the paper plates to God. Here you go, God. Here you go. Just crumble it up and throw it away when you're done with it, right? I don't want to do dishes. Here's the plastic fork. Here's the plastic spoon. You know, and I like that article because it, it reminded me of like, just there's this reverence, kind of like with Charlotte and her, her mother's fine china, this, this fear and awe, you know, awe of understanding what it is, 
what it means and everything that the significance behind it. But, you know, the fear, and there should be a healthy uh, fear within our lives concerning us and God. And, and so going through Leviticus, I want to break out the fine china. And I want us to break out the fine china when it comes to our relationship with God. I get when people come and say, you know, God's, you know, well, God's my buddy. He's not your buddy. He's not your buddy. God's my homie. Jesus is my homie. He's not your homie. He's not. He's God. He's God Almighty. He's creator. That's who he is. Is he your friend? Yes. Is he your father? He's your Abba. He's your Papa. But we, may we never lose sight of the fact that he is God Almighty. God Almighty. And he deserves the China to be brought out. He deserves the best. Leviticus frames that out for us. And what he expects, and not just you know, what he expects, but why he deserves it. So historically, Leviticus is, happens immediately after the book of Exodus. There's no, there's no years that pass by. There, if at best, there's maybe a month that passes by from the events where we left off in Exodus, uh, you know, and, and they're camped out at the Mount Sinai region. Um, and they've, they've, uh, we went through that whole study where they, they had the plans for the tabernacle, and then they had the plans for the tabernacle, and then they built the tabernacle. And then the last thing was God's presence descending onto the tabernacle. And Exodus ends. And Levit- Leviticus picks right up from there. Okay, so his presence is, is now with his people. It's with his people. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says this, and the Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, not if, but when, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheeps or sheeps and goats, okay? So you got an option. And and I'll tell you, we're going to cover five offerings that's why we're going through chapter seven. Um, I believe the first three are optional offerings, and the last two are not optional at all. But here's God saying, all right, listen, when it comes to worshiping me, here's how you're going to worship me. And it is God who defines worship, and it is God who sets the parameters on worship and not us. We do not get to tell God how we will worship him. God alone says, this is how you will worship me. This is what's acceptable, and this is what's not acceptable, okay? Leviticus lets us know that. Now, I, again, I, just like I prayed, I praise the Lord that Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? Um, because Leviticus has, we can approach Leviticus as, you know, Christians in a, in a whole different light, because we're not coming to this thing of like, okay, uh, we're gonna, okay, so I need to mark down these things for the burnt offering. Okay, so when I go home, I need to burn an animal um, so God's happy with me. We don't have to do that. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but we can approach it. And, and some people like to throw Leviticus away and say, well, we don't even, even in the Calvary chapels, I've heard of guys saying, well, we don't really need to teach through Leviticus. And I say, that's garbage. I say, that's not smart, guys. Because Leviticus applies to us today. And right from the beginning, God's like, here's how you're going to worship me. And Christians today should take note on that, how to worship God. So he's like, I'm going to give you an option. You could take from the herd of your cattle or from the flock of your sheep and your goats. 
Verse three, if the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, okay? It's a substitution for you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in the, presence, in the Lord's presence, and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal's blood by spattering it against all the sides of the altar that stands at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then, the skin, then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will build a wood fire on the altar, and they will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat, on the wood burning on the altar." But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's just a burnt offering. That's all it is. It's just, it's an appreciation gift is really what it is. It is giving to God from what you have, really the best of what you have, a spotless animal, whether it's a bull or from a sheep or a goat. What's kind of cool about the burnt offering is that it, it also could, it could apply to other animals. So nobody's excluded from this. We'll get into that a little bit later, but it's bringing to the Lord and saying, here's the best I have, a spotless offering just for you, just for you, God, just so for that, so you catch that aroma of that burnt offering as it arises up into the heavens. And God loves barbecue. Uh, he loves barbecue, okay? He loves the smell. Everybody loves the smell of barbecue. Um, and that's why I think, you know, Texas is as close as you're going to get to heaven on earth, I believe, um, because this is God's country, right? We hear that all the time. Uh, no, I, listen, he, he, he loves this, this offering of just, it's just this thing of like, man, Lord, here's, here's this burnt offering, from this animal that is like a substitutionary for me. And that's why this first one, it's an optional one, really. I mean, you don't have to do this, but when God is so good to you, why would you withhold this from him? You know? Verse 10, he says, if the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the flock, it may be either a sheep or a goat. It must be a male with no defects. Slaughter the animal on the north side of the altar in the Lord's presence. And Aaron's sons, the priest, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. You're like, this is very bloody. I get it, right? But, but again, praise God for the blood of Jesus, okay? So you, they throw the blood against all sides of the altar, then cut the animal in pieces, just like the bull. The priest will arrange the pieces uh, of the offering, including the head and the fat, wood, the wood burning on the altar, but the internal organs and legs must first be washed with water. Water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So on the same level. Now, just so you understand, a, a, a bull is worth so much more money than a sheep or a goat. So, and it, but it lists that as first. is like, if, if you want to offer to the Lord greatly, go for it. But if, let's say you can't afford to give a, a bull, well, then give a sheep or a goat. And there's even a, you know, uh, the last little section there, there's, a, there's an allowance there for like, let's say you can't afford to give a sheep or a goat. You're like, all I got is birds. 
right? And God's like, I'll take your bird, (laughs) right? He's like, I love that too. And that's verse 14. If you present a bird as a burnt offering to the Lord, choose either a turtle dove or a young pigeon. The priest will take the bird on to the altar. Here's your fun part, (laughs) ring off its head. Uh, Everybody's like, ah, Um, and burn it on the altar. Um, Sorry, but it's, listen, it's going to get a lot more descriptive through Leviticus, okay? So just hold on tight, right? Poor bird, I get it, but hey, um, it's a gift to God. There you go. But first he must drain its blood against the side of the altar. The priest must also remove the crop uh, and the feathers and throw them in the ashes on the east side of the altar. Then grasping the bird by its wings, the priest will tear the bird open, but without tearing it apart, then he will burn it as a burnt offering on the wood burning on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that's chapter one. And you're like, oh, dear Lord, um, so much death. Uh, Hey, okay, another thing you can add to your list of things you're thankful for. You're not a Levite back in the day, right? If you're like, all this, well, praise God, you weren't having to, you know, spatchcock birds and all that good stuff, right? (laughs) Like tearing these birds apart. Um, I wouldn't have made it. I just just wouldn't have probably made it. but that's the burnt offering. It's a free will offering. It's a free will offering. It's like, man, Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. And here's what I have. Here's what I have. Even if it's, even if it's just a bird, it's the best that I have to offer to you. And I just want to offer it to you. Chapter two, we look at the grain offering, another free will type offering. When you present, uh, when you present the grain as an offering to the Lord, the, the offering must, be, must consist of choice flour. You are to pour olive oil on it, sprinkle it with frankincense, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. The priest will scoop out a handful of the flour moistened with oil together with all the frankincense and burn this representative portion on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will then be given to Aaron and his sons. This offering will be considered a most holy part of the special gifts presented to the Lord. So he's like, get your flour, get your oil, mix in some frankincense there, because when it burns, you're going to smell that. You're going to smell that. And that's going to, that's going to go up. Here's what's crazy is this, this is happening. That aroma makes its way up into the nostrils of God. That's amazing. That's incredible. Now, it's not like it has to go up through our atmosphere and through space and zip through some like, you know, black hole or something like that. No, because God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. And so when these, uh, these offerings are being made, he's taking it in. He's taking it in. It's, it's amazing. So you got this grain offering, right? Um, this is going to be a way for, they, way for them to recognize and confess their dependence on God for their provisions, for their food, and for their, just their lives. This is a bloodless offering, right? So you get a little, a little relief for a second, right? The bloodless offering. Uh, we're also going to, we're going to mix in some salt here in a second, and that's for permanence. That's for like, uh, to show like it's, it's forever lasting. Um, Verse four, if the offering is, uh, if, if your offering is a grain offering baked in an oven, right? Who doesn't love that? That's beautiful. Um, it must be made of choice flour, but without any yeast. Okay, we remember that from the Exodus, okay? 
They were to bake the bread without any yeast. It may be presented in the form of thin cakes mixed with olive oil or wafers spread with olive oil. If your grain offering is cooked on a griddle, it must be made of choice flour mixed with olive oil, uh, but without any yeast. Break it in pieces, pour olive oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your grain offering is prepared in a pan, it must be made of choice flour and olive oil, right? This is like biscuits or something, right? But it's just like, uh, I'm like salivating because I'm thinking of like cornbread, biscuits, pancakes, you know, all that good stuff, right? I'm like, oh man, um, yeah, I can't wait to get to heaven. I don't know what the food is going to be like in heaven. I know there's the tree of life and you can eat freely from that. And I don't know what exactly that means. Um, and I don't know, but I tell you guys this all the time. But my, my little uh, Jewish Italian friend is convinced there's going to be donuts in heaven. And I'm right there with him. I'm like, yes, please. Donut. I like the donuts, but maybe some biscuits. Biscuits and gravy in heaven. I'm all for it, right? Um, when I see this grain offering, I'm like, all right, I can get down with this. Yeah, a little grain offering to God. Um, and the priests get the, this is part of like that, the offering concerning the grain offering is like, this is their food, okay? Because they they're not working. And so they're having food and, and the other part will be provided for them as well, the meat. But concerning the grain offering, verse eight, it says, no matter how a grain is offered to, for the Lord, uh, has been prepared, bring it to the priest who will present it at the altar. The priest will take a, represent, a representative portion of the grain offering and burn it on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will then be given to Aaron and his sons as their food. This offering will be considered a most holy part of the special gifts presented to the Lord. Now, again, remember, this is like Thank you, God, for provision. And this is an act of faith, I believe, even with the sacrificing of their animals, because they know I don't have what I have unless God has given it to me. And so I'm going to take a portion of what God has given to me, and I'm going to give it back as an offering to God, trusting that what he gave me at the beginning, he will continue to provide for me. That's faith. That's faith. And that's why, like, and it's faith, it's an act of worship. That's why uh, giving is an act of worship, because you are really trusting, like, uh, I don't have this unless God has given it to me, so I'm going to take a part of this, and I'm going to give it back to him as an offering, because I know he's going to provide, because I know he's going to provide. And, that's, and that's, that's really how giving and tithing and all that stuff, that's, that's really, that should be the heart behind it. It shouldn't be like, you know, pass the plate and here's, we got, we, we got to raise more funds for this and that. Look, the church is always going to need funds. I mean, that's a reality of a church. However, it should never be about, you know, the thermometer on the stage and this and that. It's, it should be about, I mean, has he taken care of you? Okay, cool. Well, then just trust him to continue to take care of you. And then, you know, and then if, if you're being ministered here or there's a ministry or missionaries that you want to support, Give freely to him, trusting and knowing like, man, God's going to take care of me. He'll take care of me. So that's what's kind of cool about these offerings as well. And with the grain and the just trusting in the Lord for provision, I mean, he's always going to come through. He's always going to come through. And again, with this grain offering, I'm just reminded, you know, daily bread. That was part of Jesus's model prayer to his disciples. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because I'm going to cut off a portion of that. I'm going to give it back to God. I'm going to give it back to him. Why? Because he's going to give me daily bread. 
He's got me. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is making his way through the book of Leviticus. Now, when we open the book of Leviticus, we first read these words. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He starts talking to Moses about the offerings that the people are to bring. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar, as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The animals they offered were to be without blemish. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect Lamb of God. And yet the writer of Romans says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We no longer sacrifice animals to cover our sin, but in reverence and in worship of Jesus who paid that price for us once and for all, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The book of Leviticus can open our eyes to how we're to live before the King of Kings. Here at Bread for the Broken, we're committed to helping people find hope and new life in Jesus. To hear other great messages filled with that hope and life, head over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. That's all that we have for today. Pastor James will be back with you next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.